Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. When you look at a person that's been walking with the Lord for a while, their life begins to be sanctified. They begin to live different. They have new convictions. There are things that they don't do. There are new things that they do. Why is that? Who makes them do that? God says, I, I moved in. I live inside you now. And if God moves in, I guarantee you things are going to be different. That's why I'm always skeptical of the person that says that they believe and they, they know the Lord. And I'm like, when did he move in? When did he get there? Because I just don't see no difference. You know, like there should be an ongoing transformation because he moves in. If you're a Christ follower, you know what it's like to have gone through a change of heart. When you become born again, there should be a shift in our personal desires. Pastor Bill reminds us in today's message that walking with Jesus should look like an ongoing refinement of our lifestyle, a continuous transformation. Don't get caught up in the world's idea of what your life should look like. Stick to God's vision and immerse yourself in His love and grace and His perfect plan for your life, using you to further the gospel. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. God says, so now once you believe, this is how come you're going to do better because I'm going to move inside you, right? What you would never be on your own, what you would never do in your own strength, God says, I'm going to move inside you. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit moves inside you because you believed. And so when you look at a person that's been walking with the Lord for a while, their life begins to be sanctified. They begin to live different. They have new convictions. There are things that they don't do. There are new things that they do. Why is that? Who makes them do that? God says, I, I moved in. I live inside you now. And if God moves in, I guarantee you things are going to be different. That's why I'm always skeptical of the person that says that they believed and they, they know the Lord. And I'm like, when did he move in? When did he get there? Because I just don't see no difference. You know, like there should be an ongoing transformation because he moves in. But he moves in when? When you do what? When you believe. That's how come we will be better. We will live different. We will be better when the Lord moves in because this is how it works, right? There are things that when you are not born again, you can get comfortable in your sin. You get comfortable doing things that, you know, even if you, even when I was a non-believer, there were things that maybe the first or second time I did them, I had to, I had to fight my own conscience to do it. But pretty soon, you know, I just beat my conscience is dead. I just do whatever I want to do now. My conscience don't even say nothing no more, you know? That's why I don't believe the conscience and the Holy Spirit are the same. Because I can beat my conscience down to where that thing that bothered me the first time or the second time don't bother me no more. But you know who you can't beat down? You can't beat down the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God and the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you're going to be disturbed when you do wrong. And you're not going to beat him down. He'll be there. He'll be just as disturbed 10 years later as he was 10 years ago about the same thing. He's not going to let up. Your conscience, you can beat that thing down to where you can finally get to where I, I do that. I don't even feel bad about it no more. You know, when I was younger, I was uh, one of my issues. I would steal stuff. And, you know, I think there were times where and I, it, this is this is how, you know, lost people, you know, kind of in my mind, I wouldn't steal from certain people. So I, I felt pretty proud of myself that, you know, when I was going to steal, I wouldn't do it in my community. You know, I was like, I don't want this to be one of my buddy's moms or something like I'm not going to do it where I live. I'm going to go to where. You know, I feel like they live in excess anyway. And my mind said, if I still over here, like, you know, that's that's so I would drive out to places where I felt like people had 
more than they needed, and then I would do it there. And in my non-believing mind, that seemed right to me. And here's what happened, though. As time went on, I remember I had a group of guys, and we would do this. I remember it was a Valentine's Day coming up. It was all kids in high school, and we're we're out there, you know, robbing people so people can buy stuff for their girlfriends. It was so <laughs> stupid, you know. But we're out there doing this, and we we did a couple of little runs, and we didn't get quite enough. And then we're we're back over here in the hood, and you know, my conscience is just you know, you the Bible you can, your conscience can be seared, and it got to the point where I was like, man, let's just go over there. Next thing you know, I'm doing what I said I wouldn't do in the beginning. At the beginning, there's no way I'm doing this over here. Next thing you know, it's like, it's too far to drive away over there. Let's just go right over here and, and sit there and get somebody real quick. And then here we go. You know, now I'm shocking some of y'all. and I'm so sorry. But that's the non-believing mind that that it just got wiped away. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no. It just didn't matter. You get born again. I get saved. It's like I know God lives in me. I could think about the wrong stuff. And God's like, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with you thinking like that? You know, somebody say something to me I don't like and I got to come back in my mind. I don't even say it. I mean, religiously, I'm on point. I don't say the wrong stuff to people. But God's like, no, you still enjoying it in your mind. My wife has caught me before. My wife, my wife be like, babe, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, nah, I don't want to say it. Now, I, I, I realize I'm laughing because I'm enjoying the thought, but I'm not saying it. And she's like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, man, and that's. The Lord's like, we still working on you. We still working, but he's in there. He lives in here. I'm not the same. And I can't be the same. I can't go back to what I used to be. And neither can you. If God lives inside you, the Holy Spirit, he is a seal. It's how you know you're going to heaven. You're not going to heaven because you're doing better. You're not going to heaven because you're a better person, because you believe stronger, because you serve God at church, because you read your Bible and do the reading every day. You're going to heaven because you believed. He forgave. God died for you. You believed. And he sealed you with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside you and you're his child. And he's not going to give up on you. And the good work that he begun in you, he's faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6 says. And so God who started the work is going to bring it to completion. So what you don't want to do is be fighting them along the way because God's going to get the work done. Amen. If you a bad construction site, you know what you got to do to a bad construction site? Tear it down and start over. You know, uh, they're redoing the roof right now. And I, I was here the day they started. And the whole side over there was all bad. And I watched them spend the whole day just tearing it up. We just tore off the whole thing. Said, There's nothing that we could use here. And the guy got underneath and some of the wood was rot out. So a lot of the lumber had to be replaced. And they said, now, now that all the junk is gone, they put down new lumber and then they put down new tar paper and whatever. And then they're rebuilding everything right. You know, um, God says, that's what I have to do in your, in your life. You know, if, if if you start stacking on some wrong stuff, I'll tear this thing down again. I love the, the, the potter and the clay. You'll get smatted back down and God will start all over again. It's be a painful process. It'll take you a whole lot longer to become the, the vessel he wanted you to be. But you're going to get there. God's going to make sure you get there. And so this is why I believe this is so important. This section here, the the that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14 says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. God said, that's how you know. Someone said, how do I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I'm going to heaven? I want to, I want the assurance. I want to know. And you can know. I believe that every Christian is supposed to know that they're saved. There should be a confidence in your heart that you're going to heaven. I don't think God wants us to be those that are like, I think I'm saved. I'm not sure if I'm saved. I think I'm saved. I messed up. Today was such a bad day. I wonder if I'm even saved. God wants there to be a certainty about it. And God says, this is how you know. Holy Spirit lives inside you. 
And so a, a light study of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives can help us identify his presence. What do we know the Holy Spirit comes? We know when he convicts us of sin. So if you get convicted about your sin, he lives inside you. Praise God. If the spirit leads you into all truth, the God spirit is there leading you, nudging you, moving you to do, you know that he lives inside you. Another evidence, another thing that I look to that, that you know, is maybe the more unpopular evidence that you belong to the Lord. But God says that uh, whom he loves, he what? Chasing. God spanks his kids. Have you ever been spanked? Have you ever been disciplined by the Lord? I'm not saying line up for some extra, but like if, you, if you're here and you just do wrong and there's no consequence, you just sin and you don't feel convicted if you don't get caught. You're probably not saved. That, that sounds like a non-believer. If I don't get caught, I don't feel bad. I'm not disturbed about it. Long as nobody else knows, I'm all good. If you're living like that, 007 fake Christian, you have problems. You, you have a problem with God that you need to get squared away because the believer, any believer here will tell you they can sin and nobody else knows it but them and God and they're disturbed. They're disturbed. You'll lose sleep over it. You'll lose sleep laying up, repenting and telling God to forgive you and change you. That's what God will do. I've experienced that. There have been times in my life where as a Christian, I'm struggling with things nobody else knows. And God's like, I'm, 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 my soul is at unrest because I know I can't continue to be this way. There are times that manifests itself. I'm going to confess this to somebody. I need help with this thing. I'm begging God to help me. And that's what, that's what sanctification does. God from the inside will make you begin to feel about your sin the way he does. I hate this. I hate feeling like that. I don't ever want to do that again. That's God does that. You don't you don't hate that sin. Your flesh likes it. But God living inside you is like, mm, nah, we hate this. You're going to hate this with me. I'm going to make you hate it until you beg me to help you stop it. Then I'm going to help you stop it. And you'll be on with you. Then we'll go on to some new thing in your life. Um, but those are, you know, the, the Holy Spirit of promise. God's down payment, some would say. His down payment that, that he's coming back for you. That, that eventually he's going to redeem you at full price. God's going to you're going to be his. That's how we know. And so God says, I do that for you guys. Verse 15, he says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, verse 15 and 16 are interested in me because typically we're mindful to pray for people that are doing bad. If you got people on your prayer list right now, most of us are praying for people that are doing bad. Maybe they're doing bad in their health. We're praying for them. Maybe you know somebody whose marriage is on the rocks and you're praying for them. Maybe you know someone that they're just not doing well in their walk with the Lord and you're praying for them. Maybe you know someone that's just out there tearing up, running them up, and you're praying for them. But I want you to know something here, and we need to learn from this. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Ephesus. There aren't any problems listed. There aren't any corrections that are given. Paul says, man, look, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and of your love for all the saints. This is a great church. You guys got faith in Jesus and you guys, you guys have love for all the church. Not just your little segment of the church. You love the whole church. You love what God loves. You guys are a solid church. He says, man, when I heard about that, I do not cease to pray for you guys, to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And I want to say this and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Don't forget to pray for those that are doing well. They need prayer, too. Sometimes even more. Sometimes the people in your life that you're looking at saying they look like they're doing awesome. They need prayer. They need prayer. Maybe they are doing awesome and they need prayer that they might continue to be strong, that they might continue to go for it. Understand that people that are doing well, there's attack upon them, maybe even more so. And so the people that you're looking at saying, wow, they 
they just seem to have it all together. They just seem to be in the word. They seem to be prayed for them. They need prayer. They need to be prayed for as well. And so Paul is giving us insight here. Why is he praying for them? Why don't you put your attention somewhere else? Because they need it. And he, he goes on. He just kind of explodes right here into a prayer for this group. And so I would challenge you, note takers, write down on your list right now, write down the names of some people that you know that men are doing well with the Lord. They need you to be lifting them up. They need you to be covering them in prayer. And so uh, moving on, he says, I don't cease to make mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And this is his prayer for them, that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so he's praying that God will continue. You guys are doing great. You guys are loving the Lord. You guys are believing in the Lord. You guys are loving on all the church. Um, I'm praying that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. God will continue to reveal even further. That's one thing you could be praying for people that are doing well. God continue to reveal more of you. We'll never we'll never get all of who God is, but God can continue to reveal more and more and more. God reveal more to them. Show more of who you are. Take them deeper in you. Pray that for them. Maybe you have kids that are doing great. And sometimes we, we spend up, I won't say waste, but a lot of times we spend up all our prayers on the kids that are doing bad and forget that the kid that's doing good need to be girded up in prayer too. God want to take them further and, and deeper. Pray for all of them as they need it. Cover everybody in prayer. Then it says, um, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And I want you to note the things that Paul is praying for them. Paul said, I want them to I'll pray for wisdom, pray for the, the spirit of wisdom, pray for revelation, just that divine revealing of God, of, of truth into someone's heart. There's something about God revealing truth. that When God reveals, when there's spiritual revelation that comes from God, that will impact the life in a way that, that, that not many things will. God is revealing who he is. God is revealing aspects of his truth. And then he says that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. And all these prayers, God, Paul is saying, I want them to know more of the Lord. I want them to understand better. I want their eyes open to see greater things that they may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? That they would understand what God has laid up for them. Because it would give you great hope. The, the better we understand what lies ahead for us, we'd be a people of great hope. Uh, we'd be a lot less likely to be wound up in the things of this earth when we understand what God has made available, what God is preparing and has prepared for us. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the hearts of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And some of those things he's made available here and now, and there are things that, that we have, uh, we have a future hope and expectation we look for. Um, but even that, that next verse, he talks about how he's revealed those things by his spirit. And so there are things that God has made known to us now that we could know him, that we could understand him. Um, we're praying, we should be praying that for each other, for other believers. And then it says in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power. And so here again, he's praying, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Um, just understanding what God is doing, how he's working in, in hearts and in lives. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion uh, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And again, as Paul is praying for them in his prayer, there's things that he's even, you know, just revealing, you know, as far as what Christ has done, that God has worked, the work that God did when he raised Jesus up from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. We, those words, principality, power, those are speaking of spiritual hosts. And we've talked about this a little bit in Daniel. We looked at how the, the, that, you know, the Lord is over everything. He's a king over kings. He has all authority, all power. We're reminded here again, there isn't anything greater than Jesus. Last night uh, with the young men, we looked at Revelation chapter one, that God said one of the titles for the Lord is I'm the almighty. There's nothing, there's nothing. No one ever will rival Jesus. There'll never be anything, anyone greater than him. We are all, if you're a believer here today, you are connected to, the, the, there's no authority above Jesus. You're connected to the greatest authority that there is. Nothing rivals him. Nothing competes with him. Nothing compares with him. Everything else pales in comparison to him. And so as he's praying for this group and he's worshiping here, he said, man, there's, there's power and might and dominion. There's nothing over him. He's over everything. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And so he gives the scope of the authority. The scope is not just that he's over everything for every age. There's, there's, there's no time frame where he's not the authority. Um, if you're writing notes, write down Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. It says this. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, and so he's saying, look, there's there's a time coming. And I, I think I marvel at that. Right. There's a time coming when every atheist is going to have to say Jesus is Lord. There's a time when the Satanist is going to have to declare with his own mouth that Jesus is Lord. There's a day where the tree hugger and you name whatever things people can be lost in and worshiping. They're all going to have to declare and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. How blessed will you and I be to be acknowledging that Jesus is Lord from the side of the fence that says we're his kids? Everybody's going to have to acknowledge it. Everybody's going to say it. And I was thinking of this when I was in um, my junior high school, it was a Catholic school. And whenever the principal would come into the room all the kids had to say, you know, good morning, you know, Sister Mary Ann, da, da, da. You had to, you know, say the whole spiel. And we had one particular teacher that uh, got a new degree. And so they went from being, you know, whatever their name was to where you had to call them doctor. And some of us could tell that they would really be bothered that you didn't acknowledge them as doctor. And so I remember intentionally a group of us not, you know, adding the, the, the proper title to this teacher's name. And so they would come in and, you know, we would we would say the good morning and we would stop and like be silent for the doctors. There'd be like a, a silence of half the boys in the room with of the doctor. And then we would say the rest of the name. And so we got held back for a recess and basically forced to, to say this. And so we all had to, you know, say it to go out and play basketball or whatever and I, I was thinking of it as I read this that you know against our will you know we were we were just being rebellious man we didn't want to you know we wanted to make her feel bad you know about being all snooty about her doctor title whatever but uh there are gonna be some people that that don't want to give this to Jesus and they're not gonna have any choice and it won't be to go out to play recess they're gonna they're gonna confess it on their way to hell 
That's a big deal. He is all, he is the authority. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And how blessed are you and I that we know it now? How blessed are we to know him in that way now that he's revealed himself to us now that we're not on that side of the fence, that we're not going to have to confess it as those who are being punished afterwards, but we get to confess it proudly, openly, gladly. My father, my Lord, my savior, you know, he has dominion and power of everything over me. And, I, and we, we can say it with gladness, right? I'm glad he has dominion over everything. That means when I look at everything going on in the world, I look at it and I look at what's happening, but I look at it under the lens that says, yeah, I see all of that, but I see above all of that, that there's a sovereign God who's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And technically, he has everything under control. Even when it looks chaotic down here, it's not chaotic from heaven's perspective. God knows exactly what he's doing, where this is headed, and we are safe in his hands. Amen. Moving on. Verse um, 22 and 23, almost done. It says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills all in all. And as he closes out this, this section, you know, he's, he's giving glory to God for all that he's done. He's praying for this church, but he's, he's in his prayer and he's telling us about who God is. And as he wraps this up, he tells us all things have been put under his feet. Again, speaking of his authority, everything is underneath him. Under his feet, he's the head of all things to the church. We know that from Ephesians that Jesus is the head of the church. And it tells us that we're his body. Uh, we're the body of Christ. We're the church and the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so as we wrap this up, I, I, I grab out of chapter one, 10 things that the Lord is so far, you know, chapter one, two and three are all going to be telling us things that God has done for us. And again, as we said, we start off with this in chapter one, verse three, God made, he blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And verse four, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We were chosen to be his. In verse five, he predestined us in his love to be adopted as, as his sons, adopted into his families. Um, verse uh, six, he made us accepted in the beloved. In verse seven and eight, God, God lavishes or gives his grace uh, upon our lives by which we have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. In verse nine, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. In verse 12, God has predestined us to be appointed uh, to the praise of his glory. God has, God has predestined us with purpose, we said when we looked at it. In verse 14, God has sealed us with the promise of his Holy Spirit. We know we're his. We know where we're going. We know to whom we belong. In verse 18, as you, you go back and look at that when it says that the eyes of our understanding are being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling. God has given us a great hope. One thing that believers have that maybe people out there don't have, we have hope. We have hope when everything looks hopeless because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in him. Amen. Amen. Don't ever lose sight of that because things are going to get bad. Things are going to get worse. Things are the world is going to do what it does. But for the believer, something that should settle us. We're a people of all people in this world. We're, we should be a people that have hope. Hope beyond this life, hope beyond what we can see because of what God has promised to us. And so God has given us great hope. And then um, the last one um, that we have a, a glorious inheritance in the saints and God has blessed us with, a, with an awesome inheritance. We have much to look forward to in him. And so um, I hope that, you know, I, I encourage you guys to read ahead, read chapter two in advance and, and see if you can pick out. Go ahead and read chapter two and see what you can grasp from the chapter. What, is, what can you grab out of chapter two and three of what God has done for you? 
And we're going to study these two chapters because, again, when we get to chapter four, five and six, God is going to say, now, this is the response I expect. Now that you understand what I've done for you, I initiate it. I'm going to now speak to you very clearly about what I want from you, what I desire of you in response. And so we want to get this first part of the lesson in our hearts, have it seated well so that we understand who we're serving and why we're serving as we move forward. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Ephesians, and we pray that it's been eye-opening for you. In this book, Paul explains that it doesn't matter where you come from or what you look like. What matters is that Christ unites us as one. In Jesus, we all belong. Do you ever let differences hinder you from having genuine relationships? Do you let cultures or skin color get in the way of Christ-like living? Paul knew that although differences can be difficult to process, unity is the heart of God. To be one with each other is to be one with the Father. We hope you continue to learn more from this book and we encourage you to read ahead on your own. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you can find them on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. If you live in the Inglewood area or happen to be passing through, come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. And you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. Before you go, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. We pray you continue to seek Jesus in all you do. Thanks again for joining us. And be sure to catch us next time right here on A Transforming Word. Oh, 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 oh